Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 210 of the Masterclass Podcast. My name is Cam Brennan, and I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Dave Hogue. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm a little tired, but I'm good. How about you? I am uh, on the back end of a cough that it sounds like uh, you are just starting. So Yeah, I don't know if I'm actually starting it or what, but yeah. Well, but I think the good news is is that we're not recording this when we're both in the middle of it. Because <laughs> yeah. it would take us twice as long with all of the uh, muting we would have to do while we hock up a lung. So, yay to the changing of seasons, right? Yes. But I'm excited to be here. Um as always, you know, this is a it's a good time. That's why we do it. This is true. It's certainly not for the money. <laughs> no. But for the lively discussion. Yes. So we are in chapter seven mm-hmm. of Hearing God by Dallas Willard. And um, well... There's a lot of good stuff in this one, not surprisingly, but yeah, this is this has been my favorite chapter so far. And yeah, well, it's 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 kind of like the book starts to pick up speed now. Like he's he's done sort of laying the foundation, <laughs> right? And now it's like, okay, now we can really start getting some some energy going around this whole conversation. So uh, the chapter is called Redemption Through the Word of God. Um, And so that should probably give our listeners an idea of why perhaps the pace is picking up and we're getting a little more less um, definitions and less, uh, what's the word, like orientation type stuff. And now we're like, okay, we're talking about redemption and the Word of God. We spent, you know, last chapter talking about the Word of God and the rule of God, kind of setting the stage, and then... Uh, now we're like, okay, redemption. That's that's a big theme. It's a big deal, right? Uh, so I don't know. How, what, how do you want to uh, how do you want to approach this one, Dave? We could do it totally differently if we wanted to. <laughs> we could. We could like you know pull a Christopher Nolan and start two thirds of the way in, and then go back to the beginning, and then jump to the end. Mess with the timeline, you know. Keep everyone on their toes. We could. So uh, I'm gonna do this. Um, did. Did you happen to read uh, the topics for reflection, or is it titled uh, "Topics for Reflection"? In my yeah. edition, yes, some topics for reflection. <laughs> oh yeah, it, 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 does, it does say some topics for reflection. So this is so the first question is actually what hit me as I was reading this chapter is. So often, um, and 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 interestingly, so I, I the other thing I do believe is, I believe Dallas Willard writes this book for anybody who wants to pick it. Anybody that's going, how do I hear God? And they go to a bookstore, they go to the library, they go wherever, and they say, okay, here's a book called Hearing God, and. I, I, I believe he writes this for everybody, mm-hmm. not just people who are believers or have a faith background and speak Christianese and, 
so I think Dallas writes this truly kind of the way you would almost write, which isn't surprising for Dallas, the way you would write a textbook. Okay, we're going to have a class on hearing God. And this could easily be slid in as the textbook for a class on on hearing God. Because like you said, mm-hmm. we just spent six chapters um, laying a foundation for that. Mm-hmm. And as I'm reading this, the title is Redemption. Okay, so we're talking about redemption. What does redemption mean, you know? Um, well... So then you come to the topic for reflection and it says redemption is understood in this chapter to cover transformation of whole persons and their lives into Christ's likeness. It is not merely a matter of forgiveness of sins to guarantee our entrance into heaven when we die. Do you regard this view of redemption as biblical, which we could spend the whole night just answering that question. <laughs> and then again, does it make sense in your theological background? And I grew up in a faith background. I think we both grew up in a faith background where we t- when we talk about redemption, there is this just heavy emphasis on forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm making sure we believe the right thing and prayed the right prayer and right. pray the right prayer. Yeah. I'm not even sure that it's believing the right thing. It's I've, I've, I've prayed the right prayer that in it, I say, <laughs> I yeah. believe these things. So I'm good. And, and there is just this, um, and, I, and again, I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to get focused on the, on the, on the harping of what's wrong with the church. It just was refreshing to me and even convicting to me of is my focus on redemption, living a life like Christ, in Christ likeness. So did not mean to go on to that total soapbox, but I'm here for it. So that's where I, I just think it is just this is there's there's a huge arch arc here storyline mm-hmm. of this has practical application for us every day mm-hmm. um, is what God intended for us in redemption. Not that, and again, I don't want to cut those other things out. I don't want to say they're not important, but it's just like, I feel like so much of our time on earth, if you end up being a lifelong Christian, if you learned early that I just need to believe the right thing to get into heaven and you're 10, 20, 30, 40 years into it, I think that's more of the reason why people fall away. I think it's part of the reason why people get frustrated with the church. I think it's why people go, I'm not a Christian anymore. And it's part of just, it's hard. It's yeah. I'm going to say it. it's, it is hard and it shouldn't be, you know, um, so anyway, yeah. that, so that's so that's where I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna land in on that. I just think this has so much practical application for our lives, and is a beautiful thing for what God intended for us. And there's some there's just freedom in it. There's mercy in it. There's grace in it. And 
that was awesome for me. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm going to keep the pedal down here for a minute on this because okay. we don't have to spend the whole episode on it. But what what's funny to me, right? Redemption is understood in this chapter to cover whole persons in their lives. It is not merely a matter of the forgiveness of sins. Like, that's some small feat. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. It's not merely a matter that you get free lunch today. Like, <laughs> it's, but when you think about it that way, the forgiveness of sins is a huge deal. It is the, you know, one of the unique things about God. Christianity is that God took care of the problem that we created mm-hmm. by himself and offers it to us freely. We don't earn it. It is given to us out of grace. And yet, while it is such a key part of the gospel and of God's love, grace, and mercy and tenderness towards us, it is a small portion of what God has for us to your point that you made earlier, right? That there's there's so much more to redemption than just the forgiveness of sins, though that is an enormous deal, Yeah, right? There is so much more about our entire lives that is encompassed in redemption. But I think one of the reasons, to your point, that people get frustrated with Christianity or fall away is because they're told there's peace, there's joy, there's uh, forgiveness, there's grace, there's mercy. You experience the fruit of the spirit in your life. You know, you can have a relationship with God, but if all you're ever taught is the forgiveness of sins and it never gets connected to all of the other areas of your life, you don't know how to experience all of those things because there is no foundation uh, of a relationship of this concept that Jesus didn't die just for your sins. Yes, he did, but he also died so that your whole life could be redeemed, that your mind and your heart could be transformed and renewed in his way of thinking and living life. Like there's this quote early on in the chapter um, that I like, you know, underlined and starred. I got a whole like hieroglyphic system in my notes, Dave. It's <laughs> embarrassing, really. Um, it says, those who receive the grace of God's saving companionship in his word are by that very fact also fitted to show humankind how to live. They and they alone are at home in the universe as it actually is. The light that they radiate is not what they do, but who they are. It's about identity at that point, right? And so it's hard for somebody who's just been told Jesus died to forgive your sins because you're a terrible, awful sinner. And the only way to go to heaven is to say the prayer, right, and come to church and feel bad or feel good every Sunday, depending on what the sermon's on. Mm -hmm. And it's not your identity. It's something that you do, but it's not who you are. You're not you don't see yourself as a child of God. You see yourself as someone who goes to church to get to heaven because that's what you've been taught. And it, it misses, is it accurate that Jesus died to save you from your sins? Yes. Does it tell the whole picture? No. no. And we sell people short when we focus on one sliver of the whole, you know, theological pie, as it were. Yes. I wonder how that tastes. <laughs> so we have two different versions of yes. this book. Is there a sentence prior to where you started? Yeah, I didn't start at the beginning of the paragraph, and I skipped a couple at the end of the paragraph. I just read what I underlined. Because that first sentence is one of the things that stood out to me. And I, well, go for and it. And I even feel like it's kind of one of those, 
themes for us as we have done this podcast. And what I have is that God speaks not just for us and our purposes. <gasps> what? I'm not the center <laughs> of the world. Nor does he speak primarily for our prosperity, our safety, or gratification. And again, mm-hmm. I think that is what we may not be implicitly taught that. I do think that is a lot of what our prayers ultimately become. God, give me this job. You know, God, help me find uh, a spouse. Just, help it's, me it's the, have it's a family. The West, have, yeah, the modern Western individualistic worldview. Yeah. Grafted into Christianity. And, um, you know, there's... Yeah, that's a whole... We've... we've, we've touched on that yes i don't yep people know how we feel about that but it's hard right Mm -hmm. when when you were told that jesus died for your sins individually and all the songs we sing at church and worship are about i and me and not necessarily about him and us uh, it's it's quite simple, you know. And when we're told about, you know, having an individual faith, and we don't we don't, we aren't anchored in the fact that we belong to a church that started two thousand years ago, and that there are, there are people, <laughs> hundreds of thousands, millions of people yeah. that have gone before us in the way of following Jesus, and we only listen to people you know, that have been alive for 50 years. We don't, we don't know anything about the church fathers or anyone pre-Reformation if we're not Catholic, right? (laughs) How many people at your church know who Irenaeus is? Probably like two and they're probably on staff, right? But we have, we have leaned into, we've tried to appropriate Christianity into modern Western culture and it doesn't jive. No. But that's the thing. And here we are. Look, we're talking about what the church is doing wrong, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I think we can agree, and then perhaps we can move on after after this, unless you have more to say, is that no. is that we're frustrated with it because we have experienced it in our lives, and we know there is more to redemption, there is more to our salvation, there is more to life in Christ than just the forgiveness of our sins. We're not selling that part short. What we're saying is by only focusing on that, you are selling the fullness of redemption short by not seeing its aspects over your entire life. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And that's, and I think that's just sort of the, <clears throat> A, a long answer to people saying, why can I not hear God? Yes. And there's an element of, well, our focus is on the wrong thing, on the in the wrong place. If you are said the right belief and focused on getting into heaven, then you're missing out on those other things. And that's part of what plays into not hearing from him. And he may not be talking about things like that you want him to be talking about in terms of your safety and your gratification and your prosperity. Mm-hmm. Well, and 
So, but there's the flip side of the coin. There's there are people that are after that, but then there are genuine people who are like, "Why can't I hear from God?" And it's just because they've been at a church that hasn't equipped them, right? Oh yeah, to do so. And so for those people, we're not at all judging or bashing. We're just you. You've been set up to be told one thing and experience another, and that's going to cause great frustration, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so for those folks, you've got you've to find, you know, somebody that's going to help you understand the fullness of redemption. And that might mean, <coughs> excuse me, getting your hands on some books by some old dead people that that can teach you about this stuff if your local church is not going to go beyond the forgiveness of sins into the fullness of redemption and salvation. I said I was going to be done, but I'm not. Because it really is, it's a matter of identity and who God says we are and whether or not we choose, as Dallas says in this book, to follow God's will into that spiritual uh, reformation, spiritual uh, maturity, that spiritual transformation, the word I wanted, or if we're going to choose to do things the way that we want to do. And we have to decide if we're going to follow God lives or if we're not. And it's about identity. And there are so many things, and this is obvious mm-hmm. for anyone who's alive right now and has a heartbeat that are vying for our identity. And they're all things that really aren't our identity. They want, they're, they're the jester wanting to be the king, right? They want to supplant their position and become in charge, which is the exact same trick that the serpent played on Adam and Eve in the garden. Oh, if you eat it, you'll be like God. Oh, I want to be like God. He seems cool, right? And then thus the end of the world, essentially. But the idea is like, there's nothing wrong with, uh, like th- things that people identify as, like uh, the gender, um, I don't know, status, politics, job, you know, uh, economic status, right? Like those are all aspects of your life. None of those things are an actual identity. They are things that an identity. They are things that fall under an identity. They are because they're things that mm-hmm. change. You're you, well, not. Well, nowadays gender does, but that's the whole nother thing. And uh, but the idea is before I put, I don't know, say things, we're gonna get canceled. Anyways, the idea is <laughs> when you take something that is a secondary or tertiary characteristic or trait or deal and make it everything you invert the right the the intended order of things that's when bad stuff happens right um when when in reality yeah. our identity can only ever be one thing child of god and when we replace being a child of god with anything else Sin runs rampant. That's all I got to say. Now we can move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, 
there's a uh, there's a section in um yeah, there's more to say on that in the first section, but I want to move on to the next one. An additional birth by the word of God. So he talks about uh, Nicodemus, right? And Jesus telling him, you know, Nicodemus comes across trying to sound smart. And Jesus is like, oh, well, then you need to be born again. And he's like, well, how can a man do that? You know, I don't fit back up there, uh, essentially. Um, and so he's talking about, he gets into this concept where he, he asks the question, what is life? And I just like imagine like some snaps, you know, what is life? Put my beret on and go to a poetry jam (laughs) Uh, in all its various levels and types. Life is power to act and respond in specific kinds of relations. Now key to this here, right in all its various levels and types, it's easy to skip over that because the rest of the sentence in mine is italicized. But when I say, what is life, Dave, does your brain automatically think, oh, there's various levels and <laughs> types of life? I think a lot of us just go, it means you're not dead. Like, it's a binary thing, right? Mm, you're either yeah. alive or you're dead. Yep. You have life or you don't. Um, but Dallas spends mm-hmm. the next page and a half arguing against that binary nature and talking about various levels and types of life where something or someone has power to act and respond in specific kinds of relations. He gives uh, the example of cabbage or a kitten. You know, two things that we compare regularly. So he says, a live cabbage can make no response to a ball of string. That is precisely because of the kind of life that is in it. Though alive as a cabbage, it is dead to the realm of play. Similarly, a kitten playing with a string can make no response to numbers or poetry, and in that sense, the kitten is dead to the realms of arithmetic and literature. A live cabbage, though dead to one realm, that of play, is yet alive in another, that of the soil, the sun, and the rain. The situation is similar with a kitten. So before we move on, I think we need to talk about that, because that's hysterical. I mean, it's like... He's right, and he's making a very important point that he's going to cash in on in the coming paragraphs, right? But I've never heard a philosophical argument about this state of life include a cabbage and a kitten before. (laughs) So I was reading this just dying because it's a ridiculous thing to use a cabbage, but that's the whole point. (laughs) He's using a silly example to reel you in, right, so that you go, oh, he is totally right. You would never see a cabbage playing with a ball of yarn because mm-hmm. they don't have that level of life, that level of competency, that level of awareness. Same reason why you'd never see, you know, a kitten reading Edgar Allan Poe mm-hmm. unless it was a very sad kitten. <laughs> so any thoughts on that before we get to the payoff? No, I, I, I guess I'm I'm with you that... It uh, it felt particularly out of place uh, in this book. <laughs> um, but it is a very accurate. Um, I'm not I, the word that I was going to say argument, but it's just yeah. I, I mean, it makes sense. It's easy to understand. It's one of the few things that. Um, this is like this is like if you were in Dallas's philosophy 101 class 
I could actually listen to it and be like, okay, I follow this. <laughs> I understand what's going on. Maybe that's why I like this chapter better than the other ones. I could, I could understand what was being said. So yeah. So he sets up the premise with the cabbage and the kitten, and then he carries on. Okay, what's what? What comes after? You know, a kitten. Ah, humans. Human beings were once alive to God. They were created to be responsive to and interactive with Him. Adam and Eve lived in a conversational relationship with their creator, daily renewed. When they mistrusted God and disobeyed him, that cut them off from the realm of the spirit. Thus, they became dead in relation to it, much as a kitten is dead to arithmetic. God had said, the forbidden tree, in the day you eat of it, you shall die. And they did. And that last part I had never considered, Dave. (laughs) Because <laughs> I just thought it meant like, oh, they, a physical death, right? A Duh, physical death. Sin is gonna the wages of sin is death. Well, yes, physically, but also spiritually. And I, I don't know how I'd never thought of it that way before. And I swear, every time I read Dallas's stuff, he's like, oh, this basic story from the Bible that you thought you fully understood. Oh, let me just tell you this little part to it. <laughs> and it's just such a, a powerful moment. To realize when they ate of the tree that they weren't supposed to eat and they gained the knowledge that they weren't supposed to have, that led to their spiritual death. Because immediately they felt shame. Immediately they saw their nakedness. Immediately they sought to hide and run Mm -hmm. from what they had done. And so that, I mean, when I read that and they did, it hit me like a ton of bricks. said biologically i I know i'm reading a lot here from this chapter but like it's just so good biologically they continue to live of course but they cease to be responsive and interactive in relation to god's cosmic rule in his kingdom it would be necessary for god to confer an additional level of life on them and their children through being born from above in order for them to once again be alive to god and to be able to respond toward him and to act within the realm of the spirit. Mm-hmm. So different levels and types of life. And what's scary is how many people are in positions of power and authority who have no awareness of the spiritual level of life, nor any inclination to explore it that are making decisions about the way life should be led. Oh yeah. Whether through authoritarianism or through legislature. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Deciding what our kids will learn and won't learn in school, deciding what's legal and what's, it's just, it, it opens up a whole a whole new world to quote Aladdin, if I may. And if that song is stuck in your head the rest of the night, you are very welcome. <laughs> it's a classic. But like it, it opens up this whole new realm of thinking about how do we as followers of Jesus you know, seeking to experience redemption in every area of our life, 
who are aware that we were spiritually dead and have been brought back to our spiritual vitality, our place in the kingdom, given the ministry of reconciliation and being ambassadors and bringing the kingdom and light with us wherever we go, how do we, how do we interact with people in the world that are ignorant to what we know to be true? And that, you know, like, and ignorance, not an insult. Some people just don't know. There's plenty that I'm ignorant to. Particle physics, for example. Mm-hmm. Don't know jack about it. You could tell me something, and if you sound confident enough, I'd believe you. I just don't know anything about it. Right. Nor do I care to. And there are people that feel the same way about spirituality, specifically Christianity, following Jesus, what the Bible has to say, right? Um, and some of them have legitimate gripes with how things have been done in the past or how they have been hurt by the church. And they're like, you know what? Screw you guys and all of your weird friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I just, I don't know. It's thinking about life in this way is really causing me to consider like, how do I even begin to get somebody who is not even antagonistic, but just, apathetic or um, agnostic towards the spiritual realm, you know, to be very loose with the terms, to even consider that it might be possible that there is more to this life than what we can experience with our five senses. You know, I just, Mm -hmm. and then even having the conversations about education and, and, and politics and things like that from in wanting to include, as it says in here, like the church should and could be the hope of the world because if anyone knows what life is supposed to be like, according to scripture, it's people that follow Jesus. But in our country, people that follow Jesus and politics is... Holy Moses, rife with division and hatred, and I'm seeing a level of complexity and what's the uh, uncertainty in how to even begin to approach this sort of stuff because of how hot it can be is that am i making any sense i I think you're making a lot of sense and i feel like for me personally the answer lately has just been do you love people and because if you love people like like and i'm i'm trying not to get too um whatever but so 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 god is love i mean that is (laughs) that's not just a cliche that we throw out there like god is defined as love in the bible and i think we get so fixated on winning the argument Mm -hmm. 
we get so fixated on believing the right thing. We get so fixated on convincing people of things. And I think right now, the world that we live in, if Christians would just start loving people, all that other stuff would fall to the side. And I'm coming from a standpoint of frequently seeing people in crisis. And when people are in crisis, <laughs> they don't want you, I know this may sound a little odd, but they don't want you to fix things. I mean, they do, but they don't. Like in the true moment, um, somebody you love is dead. You can't fix that in any way because we don't have the ability to bring them back from being dead. And so in that moment, it's don't, you can't fix it. You can't provide anybody with answers, believing the right thing. None of that matters, but being present with somebody and loving somebody and meeting them where they're at demonstrates Jesus. It, it is being Jesus. It's, 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 it's bringing the truth of the gospel. It's bringing the truth of who God is to somebody in The shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. And I think that verse right there just typifies what being a Christian is all about. Jesus knew full well what was going to happen. He was going to fix the dead friend, the dead loved one problem by bringing them back. But in that moment, he showed his human side, he showed his godly side, and he was simply present with them and cried with them. And so, and again, I'm, I'm saying this because this is something I personally have been wrestling with. And kind of the question is just God saying, who, who do you love? You know, not like romantically, but just like God just going, who, who do you love? And, you know, I, I'm, I'm wired in a way where I want to fix things. I want to have the answer for people. I want to make it better. I want to, you know, I want to be able to go, well, you know, one plus one plus one is three. And if you disbelieve the right things, then, but you can't do that. Love doesn't work that way. And so, um, so yes, what you said makes sense to me, and that is, I guess, where I'm at in my journey of just kind of going, I'm learning to let go of an awful lot of things that used to be my, <laughs> um, because quite honest, it's, it, as much as I want to do that, it's still not easy for me just to love people in the moment. And so then... The, 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 like I just said, like the crisis is an easy place for me to see that and for it to make sense. And then it's, it's like God is kind of like fleshing that out and just kind of in essence saying everyone is in crisis 
all the time if they don't know me. And so all that other crap that seems to get into the way, um, just doesn't matter. And so we need to love people. Yeah. And even as I'm saying that, that's not easy for me to do. <laughs> I'm not saying like, oh, I just do that. So anyway, and I don't even know if what I just said makes sense, but it's where I'm at. It does. And, and I wasn't approaching it from like, yeah, I'm going to argue with these people. But it was like, I just, I, I don't even know where to begin. And I suppose loving people is probably a really good spot to begin. So yeah, I appreciate that. Well, I, <laughs> I didn't mean to do that to you. But no, no, no. It's, but it's that's cool. just, that's where I, like, I'm just like, like, I truly have just been like, in the moment when I'm with people of just having that sense of just going, okay, God, I love them. I don't totally know what that looks like, but I'm, I, I want you to help me to see with your eyes, hear with your ears, that sort of a thing. So, so we're going to have to leave like a good chunk of this chapter out, which is <laughs> Sorry. so good. No, no, no. It's, this is all great. We haven't covered any chapter fully. That's the whole reason we want people to read the book on their own. But so he talks about, you know, birth, uh, new birth in, in Christ. And then, so Jesus is the word of God, but also the, the word of God is the Bible, right? Being planted in our hearts. Mm -hmm. He quotes James chapter one, welcome with meekness, the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. I see meekness there and I immediately think of Jesus who says that he's gentle and lowly and meekness in um, the Beatitudes, the meek shall inherit the earth. Like there's, <clears throat> there's a certain humility that comes with realizing you can do nothing to save yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if that doesn't humble you, yeah. then God's got some work to do on you yet. <laughs> but and, and, and then being washed in the word, and, and it, it all leads up to this section called Union with Christ. And boy, this is... It gets really good. This these last like ten pages, and essentially he's got this uh, thing. It says in the progress of God's redemptive work, uh, communication advances into communion, and communion into union. When that progression is complete, we can truly say it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Quoting Galatians two twenty, and for me, living is Christ. Philippians one twenty one. And this is, I think this goes hand in hand with what we talked about earlier about folks only being told about the forgiveness of their sins and not the further extent of redemption in their life. <coughs> it's, they're taught a transactional faith. Come to church, pay your tithes. Pray like you're at a drive-thru. God, I need this, 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 and this. And then just go about your life. And that's basic communication, right? And he, he even goes in here and says, we can communicate with those with whom we are at war. Mm -hmm. We can communicate with anybody. Communication doesn't mean you're on the same side or even agree. Sometimes communication is you're screaming bad words at somebody else. That's communicating too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean it's a peaceful or... Um, uh, what's the word? Um, virtuous, I suppose, relationship. It just means you're able to say things and they hear them and vice versa. 
people in an argument are communicating. Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing necessarily what's the word? Uh, spiritual <laughs> about communication. It's just a, it's just a deal. And so we move into communion and then into union. And here he says, when communion advances in the union, however, the sense of mine and thine or mine and yours may often be absent. There is only ours. And while mine does mean mine, it no longer thereby also means not yours. This condition of union is realized in a marriage when two partners have indeed become one. And I, he gets into Paul and Paul's constant hammering of this idea of union with Christ and what it looks mm-hmm. like to get to the point where for me to live is Christ. Like it, And I think for some of us, that sounds like a really weird concept and we might not like the idea that the further we pursue a relationship with Jesus and the more intimate it becomes, the more of our life we give up. Right. And the more of his life he pours into us because a lot of us like control and a lot of us want to do what we want to do when we want to do Mm -hmm. it because we're good Westerners, right? That's what we've been taught to do. And there's just, there's just something about, the hubris of looking at Jesus and saying, you know what? I can do it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need you to pour your, I don't need to give up my life to receive yours. Yeah. My life is good. And, And that's, I, 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 again, much like earlier, I don't want to paint everybody who is, frankly, in the same boat as me, which is trying to figure out how do I, how do I navigate this communication, communion, union? How do, how do I do that? Because there's certain parts of my life I don't want to give up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to hang on to it. And some people do it out of pride. And some people do it out of ignorance. They just haven't been told that there is more, more than church attendance, more than, you know, going through the motions that, that there is more that God has for them in their life. And they just, they, they are unaware because they just haven't been told they haven't been shown. Right. Right. And so that part, that's the part that breaks my heart is the people that would gladly say, Jesus, yes, come fill me. But they, for whatever reason, are in a position where nobody around them is able to communicate, right, and and pull them along in that process, you know. And that's that is the part I think that really motivates me to want to to can you continue to pursue ministry and whatever that looks like is because. Whether people don't want to hear it or are are hungry for it, like I want to be involved in making sure that people are hearing about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's where I'm at with this. There's just so much. 
to dig into, especially with this this idea of union with Christ and, and just what it means for Christ to live, to dwell in us richly, mm-hmm. as, as Paul says, and, and what that means for our everyday lives, our interactions, our thoughts, our motivations, the way that we treat people, how we love people, you know, um, there's just more. There's just always more. And that doesn't seem daunting to me. It seems encouraging. You know, like when you have like a pile of paperwork and you're like, oh my gosh, there's more. <laughs> That's not the kind of more I'm talking about. Right. It's like, it's like when you're at, uh, I don't know, an amusement park and you like turn the corner and you're like, oh, there's more rides. <laughs> <laughs> like, I am, yeah. you know, or wh- whatever the appropriate illustration is for you. Yeah. It is a more, it is an abundance of good yeah. and excellent and exciting things to discover. It is not more drudgery. It is not more busy work. It is more life, I think is perhaps a good way to put it. There's more life to be lived and enjoyed. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, that was our best take at chapter seven. Um, you're going to read it and be like, how'd they leave out all of this yeah, stuff? That's a good chapter. Well, because there's only so much time before Dave and I get cranky and have to go to bed. <laughs> yeah. And that's not what, I mean, it's a book, so go read it, you know. Exactly. And if you want to tell us what you think, that'd be great. If not, fine. That's cool too, I guess. All right. Well, sir. Yes. I think we have uh, come to the end. Reached our destination here for this episode. So, folks, that's been episode 210 of the Masterclass podcast and our discussion on chapter seven of the wonderful book Hearing God by Dallas Willard. Uh, show notes will be at supermegacorp.net slash masterclass slash 210 or in your podcast app of choice. Thanks so much for uh, hanging out with us, for uh, giving us your attention for uh, all this time. I hope the discussion was uh, fruitful for you. We will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.